All right. Well, we're doing our best to kick off a series of uh, videos and podcasts that we'll publish on Sundays. I have a working title called Sundays with Stories. And in these discussions, we're going to feature a person's story. Maybe it'll be someone in the news or a famous individual, or maybe just a person with something interesting to talk about. And the hope is that the life story is interesting enough on its own that we could just stand alone. But our main focus, of course, is on using the story as a case study to illuminate some of the principles that are put forth by our life process program. Today, we're going to talk about Drew Barrymore and her relationship with substances and her relationship with, well, recovery. And I'm here with the creator of the life process program, Dr. Stanton Peel, who has a particular interest in this story. Stanton, how are you? I'm good, Zach. And um, I think this is a great idea because Drew Barrymore has always been in the news yeah. um, since the 1980s, but she's reappeared and there's an important story that she has to tell. And strangely enough, she's not going to tell the story. So it's fallen on you and me to tell her story. I think um, she's okay with that. Let's, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wanted to, as a preamble, I, I hope mm. uh, just a minute apiece, Drew Barrymore is part of a myth, and everything we hear, virtually everything we hear about drugs and alcohol, uh, treatment, addiction, treatment, and recovery are myths. So I just wanted to knock off five myths, minute each, um, if I might. Okay, let's do it. it. In 2018, Mother Jones came out in support of uh, Mormon alcohol policies. Mm. Uh, Mother Jones, of course, is a really progressive magazine and yet they had a woman write that we should be like uh, Utah and the Mormons. She grew up in Utah and you're not, of course you're not allowed to drink at all if you're a Mormon. And as she put it, she drank more then than she ever drank when she was legally able to drink. And she got breast cancer and she blames it on that. And yet in the most progressive magazine in the United States, she presented the Mormon view of alcohol um, and a progressive magazine backed it 100% that it shouldn't be used at all. And it, at, when she was growing up, uh, the Mormon law was actually not to allow children to actually see alcohol. They would black off the bar so that children would not even see alcohol. It sounds like the medieval uh, ages, I was, doesn't it? I was thinking the same thing, yeah. That's and how... a progressive magazine uh, authored that. In mm. uh, I wrote about that whole thing uh, for Filter Magazine. In 2011, I wrote about a Yale University addiction specialist who's there, their prevention program, who said that drinking ca caffeine and alcohol is fatal and you should never do it. From Yale, a professor, um, of course, Kahlua and other alcohol is made from coffee beans. And of course, Irish coffee combines alcohol and caffeine. So here's a man saying that popular liquors and drinks that people have been drinking for hundreds of years um, will kill you. Um, let me jump to somebody we know. Um, uh, popular magazines have promoted Naltrexone and Balcovin is cures for alcoholism. We know a woman, we admire her, uh, who's written recently, she's written for The Atlantic, 
She's written for Filter. Um, Radiolab, which is a prestigious science publication, has also presented the idea that naltrexone and Balkovin, this is their argument, would cure alcoholism, but they're somehow being suppressed by American medicine. I'll just quickly point out, no study has ever found naltrexone to be uh, in a, a, a controlled study to be effective for treating alcoholism, none. And Charles O'Brien, who's Mr. Disease at the University of Pennsylvania, came to a conclusion why that was. The, he proposed that the specific chemical structure of naltrexone would only affect a certain genetic profile. So they took a group of alcoholics, alcoholism patients, um, they div divided them in terms of their genetic profile. They did a double blind study. You're gonna have to have a PhD to understand this little segment where neither the researchers nor the subjects knew whether they were getting placebo or naltrexone. And every one of the measures, quickness to drink again, amount drunk when you drank again, amount drunk on the highest amount, tendency to relapse and overall recovery, not one single measure differed on either genetic group called an allele whether it was administered by naltrexone or placebo. And this is being presented, Radiolab is famous for presenting sophisticated scientific information. Um, and being parsimonious on, about it. What's that? And they're famous ostensibly for being parsimonious about it. And for, you know, pointing out fake science. Right. Well, I'm gonna, I'll jump to my conclusion here Progressive, we all despise Donald Trump's anti-scientific attitude about climate change, about treating the pandemic. I make the modest argument that progressives are as bad as Republicans when it comes to considering drugs and alcohol and presenting anti-scientific information as though it were true. And let me jump to Kurt Anderson is a distinguished uh, broadcaster, writer, fiction and nonfiction. Um, he has a new bestseller out, um, Evil Geniuses. His previous book was called Fantasyland, How American Went Haywire, where he talks about irrationality, how Americans will believe any irrational thing. Kurt Anderson is a columnist for New York Magazine, proposed that George Bush bombed Iraq because he quit drinking without going to AA. A man, a, quite a brilliant man. Yeah. He, he said, because George, uh, because George W. Bush quit drinking with AA, without AA, he was subject to denial, and that denial made him unaware of the consequences of bombing Iraq. You've mentioned Every before, you can't, that, you, can't, you can't go wrong with that story, no matter how bizarre it is. Right. Um, a brilliant man proposed a preposterous, of course, so many, every part of it is wrong. The idea that nobody quits drinking without AA, that if you do so, you endanger your psychiatric health, that AA is good for you psychiatrically, and then you'll do some horrible crime as a result of doing that. It's yeah. bizarre and extreme. Um, I'll just do something contemporary now. There's a man running for Congress in New York. He's uh, running for re-election. His main ad is to say, 
how many people are dying of uh, painkillers currently in New York City, and to blame that on drug companies, and his, his pitch for getting elected is saying, let's lock up drug company executives and throw away the key because they're causing the heroin, the opioid death pandemic. Opioid prescriptions are going steadily downward since 2013. And every year, 2019, the first half of 2020, has seen new record levels of deaths due to opioids. You, and so let me draw through two conclusions. You can say anything bad about drugs and alcohol and get away with it. And that's part of our temperance tradition. We hate and talk to even upper class progressives like the editors of Mother Jones magazine secretly, and they drink uh, better off, better educated people drink more than poorly educated and less well off people. Even recognizing their own behavior, they'll jump out in front of the train like Kurt Anderson and say something bad about alcohol and drugs no matter what their own behavior, how their own behavior relies at A, and B, you can never go wrong endorsing recovery bromides, saying how great AA and the disease theory are, no matter how many, we're now experiencing 350% more deaths per annum due to drugs than we did in 1999. And that's fact. Uh, and at the same time that we've cut opioid prescriptions, at the same time that now um, medically assisted treatment, like now Trexone, has spread nationwide. And everybody's on board with that, from the Drug Policy Alliance on through the National Institute on Drug Abuse. No amount of deaths, failures, obvious logical inconsistency, belying our own behavior can undercut our desire to follow the disease myths and the temperance myths of drugs and alcohol. Which brings us to my heroine, Drew Barrymore. I love Drew Barrymore. Um, and I've, everybody, like everybody, I followed her whole life story. When she was 13 years old, she appeared on the cover of People Magazine, America's Youngest Addict. She had a little undirected family life. Um, she was going to dance clubs, snorting cocaine and drinking. And people had a great article where a psychiatrist by the name of Miller said her father was a heroin, addicted to heroin. Her grandfather, John Burnham, was a famous alcoholic. She obviously had inherited the genetic ability, the genetic trait of addiction and alcoholism. She would never be able to drink for the rest of her life or take drugs. She would always be addicted. I said I wouldn't do this, but how old was she then? She was less 13. than 13 years. She 13? She went to rehab. She attempted suicide, which enabled her to write a book at 19, uh, when she was 15 called uh, uh, Little Girl Little Lost. Girl Lost. Yeah. So what, then what happened to Drew Barrymore? the born addict, the youngest addict who went to rehab and attempted suicide. Well, she continued to act and um, she was successful. 
in 19, and she played in Ingenue in 1999. She appeared in a picture called Never Been Kissed. At that time, Drew Barrymore was born in 1975. She was 24 years old. So at 24, she was kind of highly successful. Hmm. Um, by the year uh, 2000, shortly thereafter, uh, she made uh, Charlie's Angels. She starred in that. It made a lot of money. And she co-produced it. So we're now getting to a human being who uh, is under 30 years old and is a Hollywood power player. And one would suspect she was not a drug addict or an alcoholic. It's a little hard to uh, act every day and produce multi-million dollar projects when you're an addicted individual. Um, and then strangest thing of all happened in 2012. She founded a winery. And, you know, they showed her happily drinking wine and discussing this wine and that wine. And then there was an outburst. I, I wrote about this and people would write into Psychology Today saying, she's obviously what? She's obviously in denial and relapse. But she kept going on from success to success. And the denial relapse story had a hard time holding water. Um, and she then, for the last couple of years, 2017 to 2019, she's been this highly successful Netflix series, The Clarita Diet, um, which she also co-produces. So all, what, how would you describe what happened to Drew Barrymore? She was at an age in a very disoriented family situation. Her mother wasn't really present. Uh, where she used cocaine and alcohol in an unhealthy way. She became persuaded that she needed to be in rehab and she had a disease. That resulted in her almost killing herself. She continued on her path, following her talents and her skills, became incredibly successful both as a performer and as a producer. She had two daughters along the way. And she speaks often about her feeling of obligation and responsibility, given her own background, rather than the story we often hear, well, people from broken homes become horrible parents themselves. That redoubled her energy and her effort to raise her own children in a well-role-modeled way. And now she's coming to do, uh, in 2020, a new television talk show. How is America dealing with Drew Barrymore, and how is Drew Barrymore dealing with herself? And the secret answer is, Drew Barrymore is a person who almost more than any other human being could come before America and say, you know that whole, I had a lifetime disease because my grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, I'm not recommending that my daughters take cocaine when they're 13, but that whole thing about me being a lifetime addict was bullshit. Putting me in rehab at that age was crazy and almost killed me. Uh, having some support and nurturance and using my talents, becoming a parent myself, allowed me to grow up as a fully functioning adult. I drank wine normally. 
I have no fear whatsoever of becoming re-addicted or alcoholic. What a crazy story. I bet that's never happened in the history of the world before. <laughs> and we all know, if we read Mother Jones Magazine or The Atlantic, or sometimes, forgive me, even Filter Magazine, we'll learn that you've come up with a disease, you're in denial, and you need medical treatment. So Drew Barrymore has something really important to tell us, and she can't tell it to us. Why can't Drew Barrymore tell the story that just because John Barrymore is an alcoholic and she was addicted or disoriented from cocaine, that that didn't determine the rest of her life, that she just had to grow up and now she can be a normal substance consumer. Why can't she tell that story? So first, let me tell the story that Drew Barrymore does tell. And it's a, bit, it's a tough story to swallow. She tells people the recovery community has been really important to her. She seeks support from recovery people. However, she's not in recovery because you're not allowed to be in recovery and drink wine. That's a fine line to navigate. I love recovery people. She says rehab was really important. Well, she did attempt suicide after going to rehab. Uh, she's not going to AA meetings and drinking wine. As you're aware, they don't have wine at recovery meetings, only coffee. And so she has to make common cause with the recovery community in Hollywood and America, which is really powerful, even though every aspect of her life belies their message. And recovery groups, you know, the same ones who around 2012 said she's obviously in denial starting this winery, they now have to drive this fine line where they say things like, well, she's doing very well. Of course, nobody in recovery should be drinking. No, it almost never happens that that can succeed. So please don't try and follow her model. They have to commend her. She's, America loves her. She's going to have what top show her. She's going to be rivaling, you know, uh, Ellen DeGeneres. They can't be cutting her up and saying she's an alcoholic in denial. So they're doing a dance. Drew and the alcohol recovery industry are doing a dance. Well, she's not in recovery, but she's sort of in recovery. She's defying everything we say in recovery. But we love her, and she really proves our point that you can't do what she's doing, just outgrow addiction. And that's the situation that we're facing with Drew Barrymore. She's telling a false story about herself. And so the greatest lesson that we learn from Drew Barrymore is, in fact, as you and I have discussed, and as you and I, we, we discussed Drew Barrymore uh, in Filter Magazine, God bless Filter Magazine, uh, and it's great editorial staff, um, an editor-in-chief. Um, and our book is called Outgrowing Addiction, which you may recognize that title sounds a lot like what happened to Drew Barrymore. Um, we have to tell our story because otherwise you are not allowed to actually hear Drew Barrymore's story in the United States of America. You can't hear it from her. 
you can hear it from addiction treatment specialists. I always wonder about looking up Dr. That psychiatrist Miller, who wrote for People Magazine so assuredly that she would be addicted for the rest of her life and could never ever drink, but would probably relapse throughout her adult life. I wonder whatever became of it. Um, and that's the first story in our series that we want to tell. The story of Drew Barrymore growing up to become a fully functioning, wine-drinking, excellent mother and super professional, violating every precept of the recovery fairy tale. People who are seeing this on video, I'm going to cut it here, but people listening to the podcast are going to still hear this. You mentioned she can't tell her story. I mean, it's impossible. We, America watched her defy all the rules of the standard story so we could see it if we could only put the pieces together. But she can't tell it. There's no way for her to be direct about it without defying everything. that. And, and people have to also, you mentioned people who produce her, who need her to thrive, have to do the dance that says, yeah, okay, she's sort of in recovery. Maybe she's, uh, she, if it bends, she's successful. If it breaks, she's an addict for life. It's the same thing as I tell my own story, except no one really cares, but it's the same story. I grew up, I overcame an addiction, but people will say, you know, either yours isn't really an addiction or you're an anomaly and so shut up. So Drew Barrymore was put on the cover they, uh, you weren't on the cover of People Magazine when you were addicted, right. and you certainly weren't on the cover of People Magazine as America's Youngest Addict when you were 13. Right. So America has to deal with this residual memory. Right. All of us, I'm almost, I wish Kurt Anderson were here. America is in denial. Everybody knew she was addicted. Everybody really knows she's not addicted now. People aren't sitting around worrying that Drew Marymore, she's 45, who's very involved with parenting her children. Nobody's really worried that drinking that wine is gonna make her start shooting heroin or snorting cocaine right. or becoming an out. Nobody believes that. So we all, it's not only her, the reason she has to deny the story is because she can't defy the recovery community, but she can't defy America's expectations. And so the answer to the question, why does America believe in the disease theory despite the facts all around us, the, multi the millions of people who've quit uh, alcoholism, alcoholic drinking as they've matured without treatment, they know it's not true, and yet America is committed to it. How can we, it's fake science, it's fake humanity, it's fake life, and yet America will go jump off a cliff in order to maintain that story. That's the real story of Drew Barrymore. It's a story that we, we clutch so tightly, it can't not be the story. We have to have that be our story, and we watch our logic be defied every day. You remember Dumbo, he, he, flew, he thought that the only way he could fly was by clutching that feather in his <laughs> trunk. That's right. But it turned out Dumbo could actually fly. Maybe that's a bad example, because elephants, I don't believe, can fly. People can quit addictions and alcoholism on their own without abstaining or believing that they're lifetime addicts or alcoholics. That's actually true, and we know that to be true. And you and I are 
people who have lived that and are committed to telling that truth. And here's the last point. I mean, obviously people could say, you can say, well, I want to help people. You can never help people by lying. You can only help people by telling your truths. Because mm. lies, the reason people lie is because things aren't working. America, as I began this story, is experiencing a 350% per annum increase in deaths due to drugs. People are becoming more addicted and deadly users of drugs and alcohol all the time because you and I believe, as we wrote in Outgrowing Addiction, and as I'm going to talk about in my memoir, A Scientific Life on the Edge, My Quest to Change How We See Addiction, because of the disease theory. The disease theory in itself is pernicious and pathological and the scourge that causes drug and alcohol deaths. Can I ask you a question? For a while, I think I was duped by the disease theory, not for long, and I was always sort of suspicious. But I do remember this sort of purgatory stage of my life where I thought, yeah, something's not right here, but I dare not say anything. And it was only when I felt like there, I had some responsibility for generating truth for people that I decided I should say something. Do you think that it's as soon as somebody gets to the other side of uh, a fantasy or a, a bromide that they've been regurgitating for so long that it's their obligation and responsibility? To then well, I can't tell people how to get over addiction. We, we have the life process program, obviously, and we let people find their own sources for how they're going to go, including if they want to abstain, they're allowed to abstain. If they want to drink, they're allowed to drink. If they want to continue taking drugs, they're allowed to do that. I can't tell people how to deal with their truths. I mean, Drew Barrymore knows a couple of things that I don't know. She knows how to become a Hollywood power player and to become whatever she, multimillionaire she is, mm. and to be loved by America. And if she has made a calculation consciously or unconsciously, that to go along with the recovery myth is the best way for her to navigate that space. I can't tell her otherwise. I know it's an act of bravery on your part that you could do that. I've known, I've worked with people who have stories like yours who refuse to tell them. And well, I can't tell them to tell them. How could I? I admire your bravery and, and I, I believe that you have a family structure where you're allowed to do that. By the way, Drew Marymore, as great as she is, is not a perfect person. Her weak area seems to be long-term intimate relationships. Uh, she had a long partnership with a man, and then she had three successive marriages that have all ended in divorce. She's only 45. So um, I don't know Maybe if she hears this podcast, she'll tune into the Life Process Program. I think she could use some of the same solid thinking, some of the same positives that have enabled her to speed in her work life, that I believe she's a dedicated and able mother. I've read her comments about her kids. She says things like, I don't tell my kids everything they should do and not do because I think they have to work through them. You know, not to the extent that I did, but people have to do that. So I believe she's a sound person psychologically. She hasn't put it all together with regards to intimacy, love, you know, in some kind of reasonably stable uh, partnership. So we all have room for improvement. Um, 
And but that that's a smoking more... gun. What if she's supposed to be a perfect person, lest she's addicted? Then, I mean, I guess we all are. Right. She's only forty-five. You know, who knows what life holds in store for her? And you know, as I said, reading about her parenting techniques is, is inspiring. She's really balanced in how when she talks about being a mother. And naturally, I secretly wonder. I, I would guess her daughters are probably teenagers now. I would guess she gives them wine. That would be my that she practices a kind of a sensible family policy. I don't think she gives them lectures about how their great-grandfather, John Barrymore, was an alcoholic, and if they ever touch alcohol, they'll be alcohol. I don't think she's giving them that lecture. So this has been the story of Drew Barrymore, a great American who hasn't fully come out of the closet yet, but she's only 45. Well, like, like I said, people don't necessarily care about my own story, at least not people en masse, but uh, people will care about Drew Barrymore and her story, whether they agree with us or not. Maybe somebody that we talk about is going to call in and demand that we interview them. But until then, we have, uh, you're sort of the king of case studies. You're sort of the king of practicality and say, look what's happening around you in life. Open your eyes. So it's not like we don't have a... <laughs> I recently of... asked a uh, man we both know, uh, Jacob Solom, to write something for my memoir. Hmm. I don't have it in front of me, but he had recently written me about asking about whether people underestimate the amount of drinks they have. You remember that email? Yeah, yeah. And I said, Jacob, you have been on panels with me and you see me do this trick. I do a trick where I say, oh, how many people in this room have taken a painkiller? Everybody raises their hand. And I say, oh, how many of you became addicted? Nobody raised their hand. I said, well, how many of you were drawn to the experience but quit taking it anyhow, because whatever. And a couple of people raise their hand. I say, well, why did you quit? And they say, well, you know, I wasn't going to keep taking, you know, Oxycontin. I just wasn't going to do it. Then I do another routine where I say, in recovering groups, I go, what's the hardest addiction to quit? And people all shout out cigarettes and nicotine. I say, wow, that's amazing. Has anybody in this room quit smoking? You know, in a, time, in a recovery audience, a lot of people have done that, you know, 60%. And I said, well, how many of you got medical treatment to do that or join the support group? And never more than a handful of people raise their hands. And I say, huh, this is a radical group. A majority of you have quit the hardest addiction, drug addiction, to quit. And virtually none of you used any kind of medical or support group to do that. Huh. So Jacob wrote for my memoir, Stanton draws on people's own personal experience to show that the myths that they endorse around drugs and alcohol are preposterously untrue, even in terms of what they know to be true about their own lives. Um, and, you know, so what we're trying to do with Drew Barrymore is a technique I use in all of my work, writing and lecturing. But I don't want to give up yet on you being on the cover of People magazine. Uh, yeah, that could, it could still happen. It could still happen. I mean, but someone... you're, uh, you're uh, more than 20 years older than Drew Barrymore when that happened. And we hope it's going to be for something more po positive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now she's on the cover, you know, of everything because of 
positive things. So, you know, uh, and she is older than you. She is, you know, almost, you know, 10 years older than you. So, you know, and, you know, damn it, you're looking good, buddy. You, you do okay on the cover <laughs> of People magazine. Like I said, the pandemic maybe did me well. Look, just to recap, we have a child actress who, by the age of, what, 15, is already writing a, a rehab memoir. And so you can't deny, we've already d decided when she was young that she was, you know, the youngest hardcore drug addict that we know famously across the world. And so they can't, people can't like me say, well, you just, you know, you weren't really addicted. Everyone said she was addicted. She grew up breaking all of the rules. She still did things in moderation. She still drinks wine. It started a winery for God's sake. And now she's been, you know, beginning a new show, like you said, competing with Ellen. So you can't really knock her too much, but there's this awkward uh, elephant in the room. People can't say that she's not in recovery and they can't really say she is. And she can't say, well, I just outgrew addiction and everybody does this. So that's her story. And we're going we're gonna to show just by force of quantity in our upcoming series, how many people that's Quantity and fame of people, right? Right. Do you have an idea about who you want to do next week? Because I do. Who do you want to do? Well, uh, you talked about Bob Weir and you wrote a, a, an absolutely interesting piece about him. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm for my age, maybe you'd be surprised, but I'm a big deadhead. And us in Vermont, we like, we like the Grateful Dead. And I even played in a Grateful Dead cover band and was able to, one of my friends, the Jerry Garcia band continued to tour. He took Jerry Garcia's place in the wow. Jerry Garcia band. So, so I'm really, uh, it's, a, it's a topic close to my heart. And when I read that piece of yours about Bob Weir outgrowing his own addiction, you figure if the, any of those stories about rehab and addiction and recovery are true, he's one person that shouldn't have lived at, to this point in his life, certainly not as happy of a life as he's living. So maybe put that on deck. By Bob, by personal experience and observation, Bob Weir qualifies as an expert on addiction and drug use in America. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's for <laughs> sure. And, and like with Drew Barrymore, nobody's going to, and he, he kept it up longer, nobody's going to argue with his expertise. So next time, let's do Bob Weir. And I'm, All right. you know, throw in everything you know about the Grateful Dead as well. That's great. I'll talk to you next time, Stanton. Excellent. Bye-bye now.